what a privilege it is for me each and every Sunday to be able to open up God's Word, to share the truth of God's Word with you. The theme this morning is what we value, we worship. What we value, we worship. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the truth of your scriptures. Lord, I pray that you would ready our spirits to receive your word and apply it to our lives. I pray that the concerns and the anxieties of this day would not choke out the word. I pray that the enemy would not snatch away the precious seed of your word. I pray, Father, that you would enable us in this somewhat awkward environment to be able to not only tune in physically, but tune in spiritually to what you have to say to us. We're reminded, Father, of your great love. We're reminded of your great mercies to us. And we pray, Father, that as we look to you today, that you would meet us in the midst of your word and cause our hearts to rejoice at knowing you, our Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every single person, every, uh, every human being on the planet, regardless of who they are, uh, we live our lives according to what we value, what we think is important. Every moment of the day is determined by what we value ourselves. Um, I'm not particularly a breakfast person, but if you're a breakfast person, even your breakfast routine on any given morning uh, is, determines your values. Um, some people uh, like to make uh, easy, instant, quick breakfast and out the door and go to work. Uh, others will spend time in more of a traditional uh, full meal deal breakfast. And, and the choice of that breakfast determines uh, what we value. If we value our time, if we value um, speed, we're going to go one way. If we value uh, uh, nutrition, if we value uh, being relaxed and having a great breakfast, we will go another way. Uh, if you think about it, almost everything, if not everything we do, is simply determined by our value system. During the day, in a split second of time, uh, we make value assessments. We, we do what we think is important. And uh, that's the way uh, God has made us. The, the Bible has a lot to say about spiritual values that people make. Uh, these are well known to you, but as a reminder and to help us to think down this road, uh, Remember the story of Moses when the writer to the Hebrews uh, recounts Moses in Hebrews 11 
particularly verse 26, he, he reminds us that Moses valued suffering with God's people more than all the treasures of Egypt. Uh, that's pretty amazing. When, <clears throat> when Moses did his uh, value assessment, he said, it's more important for me to suffer with the people of Israel than it is to enjoy the treasures of Egypt. He made a value assessment and he chose what he thought was important. Jesus said in a verse that you're very familiar with and a very important verse in the Bible in Mark 8, 36, Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That's pretty phenomenal. It says you, you the listener, you, you have a soul and your soul is more important than the, the cumulative value of the world. Jesus also said that the seeking of his kingdom, the pursuit of his rule and reign over our lives is even more important than food and clothes. In fact, in Matthew 6, 33, he says, you pursue the kingdom first, make that a first priority, and these other things will be added to you. You're familiar, of course, with the Apostle Paul, he had an impressive resume. And yet when he did a, a values assessment, when he did a values clarification in his life, he found that his impressive upbringing, his fantastic educational accomplishments were nothing compared to knowing Christ in Philippians 3 seven and following he, he teaches us that he teaches us that that comparing to knowing Christ his impressive resume was nothing it was it was dung in comparison it shouldn't be a surprise to you and most Christians this is a, this is a, just a review but we understand that our Values, the things we're talking about, things that enable us to make choices, actually come from our hearts. That, that spiritual vessel that is the control system of our lives, that spiritual uh, unseen heart that each one of us has. Of course, secular society denies that. They, they deny the, the spiritual component of a human being in the way Christians understand. But we're reminded, as Solomon taught us in Proverbs 4.23, he said, keep your heart with all vigilance and because from it flows the springs of life. Everything proceeds from our heart. Secular society doesn't believe that. Secular society believes that we make value judgments, we make decisions what we think are important uh, because of our evolutionary progress. We've, we've learned that to survive, we do X or Y, uh, but, uh, and I, but there's no spiritual component. We just, we're animals that just adapt. 
course, that thought transitions into, uh, again, modern secular society and uh, the theory of pragmatism. We simply do what works. That's it. But Christians know better. Uh, Christians know that uh, what we do and what we value and how we express that comes from our heart. Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, he said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So again, our heart is, is what determines what we value. The condition of our heart determines what we worship. This morning we're going to see in John's story, John's gospel that we're uh, working our way through, we're going to see a picture of contrasting values. So I would invite you to turn with me to John's gospel chapter 12. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through to 11. That's John's gospel chapter 12. Verses 1 through to 11. John's Gospel 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, Many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And this is God's holy word. Let's just remind ourselves of this story that I read. It's really quite a, a fascinating story. In the big picture, uh, we have just covered 11 chapters of the Gospel of John. 
Now, generally speaking, those 11 chapters have encompassed about three years of Jesus' public teaching ministry. Now we're at chapter 12. From chapter 12 through to the end of the gospel really only covers just a little over a week. We have uh, now, I have preached 48 sermons from the Gospel of John, and we're only about just over halfway through. And I say this simply to remind you of the incredible detail that John is going to provide for us in these remaining chapters. He's, he's, he's covering a, a week of Christ's life on earth, and he's going to go into incredible detail of this Passion Week and uh, the few days to follow. Now we pick up the story in chapter 12. Jesus has retreated to a quiet place in Ephraim after the raising of Lazarus. And now he returns back towards Jerusalem. Remember, that's his destination. That's where he's heading. That was he, where he was appointed from the beginning of time that he would give his life for sinners like you and I. And on his way to Jerusalem, he stops over at Bethany. Bethany was the hometown for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he attended a supper on the Saturday night after the Sabbath. The supper, according to other gospel writers, was held in the home of Simon the leper. But it's very clear that the meal was catered by Martha and Mary and Lazarus. What an interesting thought. The home is owned by Simon the leper. They're in attendance among other people. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In that home, that evening, that Saturday evening, there was a man healed of leprosy and a man raised from the dead. Imagine the conversation. It must have been absolutely phenomenal. But as they're eating the meal, we learn that Mary gets up and she takes a very expensive pound of fragrant oil or, or perfume. And this was truly expensive. It was about a year's wages. And she anointed Jesus from his head down through his feet. And then she undid her hair and wiped his feet and dried them. By the way, that's an action that only a, a wife would do in the front presence of her husband is undo her hair. Uh, Mary was showing tremendous intimacy, tremendous love, an extravagant love. Years ago, I remember preaching on this story from another gospel writer and just being so absolutely caught up with the extravagance of Mary's love for 
her Savior for Jesus. And Jesus accepted her act of worship. He ex accepted her affection. And he even said that the leftovers could be used uh, for his burial. Of course, Mary didn't get it, and few of the people there, if any, would get it. They would get it later when John would write this gospel. It's sort of like Caiaphas in the last, in the last message from this series. Is Caiaphas said something, and he didn't know what he was saying. Well, in this case, Jesus did say something. He knew what he was saying, but the people there didn't get it. They didn't understand that in a very short period of time, uh, within a week, uh, he would be dead and people would come and they would anoint his body with these costly perfumes. And so he was pointing to that, but unfortunately, uh, no one picked up uh, what he was getting at. At the meal was uh, a guy we know pretty well because of the, the scriptures. We uh, were quite acquainted with him, but back then in that room, in that home, uh, he was just another disciple. All the disciples were present, and uh, Judas spoke up, and he expressed how wasteful this was. Uh, uh, a perfume with a street value of a year's wages being wasted in this, uh, this act of worship. And then John provides uh, another Holy Spirit-inspired uh, editorial comment. Remember, John wrote this some 50 years after the event, and so he's explaining things about Judas that no one really knew so much at that time, but had learned later. And when Judas was appalled at the, uh, at the, the expression of Mary wasting this ointment and said this could have been used for the poor, which is certainly a true statement, we realize from this editorial comment of John that he really didn't care about the poor he was the, within the group of disciples, he was the treasurer. And it became known that all the money that he would take in for the poor and for other, other things probably, he was skimming a bunch of that off the top. Um, so written years later, John gives us uh, an insight into the heart of Judas. Um, he came across like he was a uh, someone who cared for the poor. He was a philanthropist. But the fact is, he was self-serving. He had an evil heart. Jesus responded to Judas by saying, leave her alone. That's a strong word from our Savior. Leave her alone. And then he indicates, so that she may keep it for the day of burial. And then he makes this statement, for the poor you will always have with you, but you, don't, you won't always have me. 
Now that statement always needs some explanation. It might on first reading, uh, a person might think, well, uh, Jesus doesn't care for the poor. In fact, the statement actually, when you look at it carefully, is, uh, is to the contrary. Jesus is not suggesting that you don't care for the poor. He was, he was saying to us and to the disciples, you will always have opportunity to help the poor. But in that time, with Jesus in that home in Bethany, these people had an opportunity like none other. And Jesus was saying, this is an, this is an important opportunity. You will always have opportunities to give to the poor. But you will not have the opportunity of me physically in your home, in your presence. You, you have an opportunity of a lifetime. John's account ends with this fascinating detail in verses 10 and 11 where he says that the chief priests were made aware of where Jesus was and they started making plans to kill Lazarus. They've already started the plans to kill Jesus but now they're making plans to kill Lazarus. Again, <laughs> how would one feel? Lazarus was deathly ill. He died. He was in the grave for four days, and we're not given any information about that time. We have no information of what he may have experienced. And now, brought back to life, in a miraculous uh, power of our Savior, these chief priests want to kill Lazarus. There's a price on his head now. Why? Because so many people are turning to the Savior through his testimony. Now he has a death threat. Now he's being persecuted. So I ask myself the question, as I often do, as I study a text of scripture I say well, you know why is this in this account of all the stories that John could have chosen and he tells us at the end of his gospel he could have written a lot more why did he choose this why did he select this well as I think through the overall aim of the book I realize that Again, as I said, John is writing some 50 years after this event. He's uh, uh, writing to people so that they would see the glory of Christ. He's writing to people so that they would put their faith in Christ. He's particularly writing to scattered Jews uh, around Asia Minor who had only heard stories or perhaps legends of Christ, and now he's giving them a detailed uh, description of what took place. And with the account that so many people were turning to Christ because of uh, they recognized him to be the Messiah, uh, I'm sure John wanted to communicate this to his readers so that they too 
would follow in that example and they would turn their hearts towards Christ. So that's probably the most important or one of the most important reasons John would have wanted to include this story in his gospel. But we also learn, particularly from Mark's account, that this event was the straw that broke the camel's back, as, as it were, in the life of Judas. It was after this dinner that Judas decided to go betray Jesus. It was here, beloved, that, G that Judas made a value assessment. He made a choice. He made a choice on what was important. Interestingly, when it came to perfume and ointment and money, he showed great value to a pound of perfume. As I said, with a value of a year's wages. But in a few hours, his heart is going to be reflected because he's going to sell the Savior, so to speak, for 30 pieces of silver. On the one hand, you have perfume, a year's wages. On the other hand, you have Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and Judas values him at 30 pieces of silver. Do you know what 30 pieces of silver would buy you in that day? A loaf of bread. The Old Testament teaches us that 30 pieces of silver is, is equal to the most worthless slave in your business. Right away you see Judas's value system on display. Here he had before him, by the words of Jesus, an opportunity of a lifetime. And he put more value in perfume than the Savior. He put more value in a substance of this world than Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. Contrary to that, Mary expressed exorbitant, lavish worship, showing incredible value for Christ. I think that's representative of Mary's heart. You'll remember another occasion when Jesus was in the home of Mary and Martha, and Martha was preparing the meal and serving. She was doing it alone, and she went to Jesus and said, Master, tell my sister to come and help me. But Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was taking an opportunity that she had to sit and listen to the Savior. And when Jesus responded to Martha, and this is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, when he responded to Martha, he said, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion. She has made the right choice. In context with what I'm uh, preaching on this morning, 
Mary has made a value assessment and she has chosen that to sit in the presence of Jesus Christ and to sit at the feet of Jesus is of greater worth than the other affairs of this world. You see how, how Mary's value system comes through in these stories compared to Judas? Mary, in both cases, chose to take the opportunity to spend time and worship Jesus. She reflected what was valuable in her heart, and that was displayed in her behavior. At the same dinner, then, we see a different display of values. Judas spoke hypocritically about valuing poor people, but he really didn't. He just valued the money for himself. He was that scandalous treasurer of the group of 12 that was skimming money. He had no care for people, and he had no care for Jesus. The main point this morning is we worship what we value, and what we value reveals our hearts. Let me say that again, please. We worship what we value, and what we value indicates the condition of our hearts. The late Dr. Billy Graham is quoted as saying this. He said, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is. Give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and tell me where their heart is. We could add to that. Show me your day timer. That's an old phrase uh, reflecting my age, but show me your timetable. Show me your schedule. Show me your organizer. Show me how you spend your time. And I'm sure whether it's mine or yours, it will reflect what's valuable in our hearts. And we will make decisions and act on what we think is important. Paul David Tripp went through a time of of suffering and which he has written about and, and in a very transparent manner talked about uh, some of the things that he went through. And he, he wrote this, he said, one of the things he learned from his time of suffering was that he learned that it exposed the idol of self in his heart that he didn't know was there. He realized that he was taking pride in his physical health. He was able to accomplish things prior to his illness and, and he, was able, he was just taking credit for it as if he had produced it on his own. He went on to say, suffering draws out the true thoughts and attitudes and assumptions and desires of the heart. Suffering draws out the true thoughts, attitudes, and assumptions, and desires of the heart. 
My brothers and sisters, three months ago, we wouldn't imagined what we're going through today in our lives. I've talked to many of you, and there are several people in our church that have lost jobs. Some have said to me that they're lonely and they're tired of this isolation. They, the, the contact with people has, is, is, has been missing from their lives. There are some people that are concerned uh, about their health. Many of us are concerned about our loved ones. Some of us have witnessed uh, the, what we thought was a secure retirement plummet. And I could go on. But what is clear from the days that we're living in today is that we're going through an unprecedented time. And I want to say something kindly and lovingly, and it's, 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 it's directed to me too. I, I'm, not, I'm not outside of this thought. We are all here this morning. But the time we're going through right now, above or including other things, is going to reveal in a very clear way what our heart values our hearts will tell us what we value our hearts will tell us what we worship how we spend time what we think about what we do what we pursue are all expressions of worship they're all expressions of things we value and it's a sobering thought. But how we respond to this time of suffering is going to expose where our heart really is. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. This is in Matthew 13, uh, verse 44. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has to buy that field. The, par the parable is about Jesus himself. The treasure is Jesus. This man showed in, a, in, a, in an anecdotal way, in a, in a way of a story, what was important to him. That treasure was more, than, more important than anything else he had. And he expressed it. What we're doing, what we're thinking about, the assumptions we're making in the days that we're living in, are revealing where our hearts are. They're re revealing what we truly worship. At the age of 23, the, uh, the soloist for the Billy Graham Association, George Beverly Shea, had a hard decision to make. 
he could accept a job offer singing in New York City with that commanded a great salary and it, it would have earned great respect in the world of music. But he made a decision to choose to continue to write music and to sing uh, for God's people. One, one Sunday, sitting at the piano, he was preparing a song that he would uh, uh, share at the evening service of the church he attended. And he was at the piano and his, for some reason he came across a poem by a lady by the name of Mrs. Rhea Miller. And as George Beverly Shea uh, read that poem and as, as his hands were on the keyboard and he, he started to compose the music that would accompany that poem. And then he was able to share that at the church service he attended. What he wrote that day and what he composed goes this way. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-scarred hands. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. We're living at a time where our hearts are being exposed. We're living at a time for what we really worship, what we really think is valuable, is being revealed in our lives. I pray that for me and for you this morning, our God would find in us a heart that Mary had, a heart of extravagant love for Christ. I pray that we would find a heart that would indeed say, I'd rather have Jesus. Because George Beverly Shea went on to write, he's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from the out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus than let him lead. Beloved, my prayer for us all is that would be the song of our heart in these days and the days to follow that we'd be found in Christ singing, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that in your miraculous way, the heart of Mary would be granted to us by the work of your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray that 
the choices we make this day and the days to follow, the choices of how we use our time, the choices of how we use our money, the choices of what we think about and dwell on, all these things would be a reflection of a heart that says, I would rather have Jesus. Lord, do this work in our lives, we pray. Cause us to be transformed by your Holy Spirit. And may others around us see such a dramatic change in us that they indeed would ask about the hope that we have because we think differently, we act differently, we behave differently. What is important to us is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Do this work, I pray, and may God be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.